We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. We've been reading the book of Matthew together as a church. And um, reading this story of Jesus slowly, taking our time. And we've come to, to a point around about the middle, the story of the transfiguration. When Jesus goes up on the mountain and his appearance is changed. It's a story we're really familiar with. And so what I want to do today is to have a close look at this story, but also to, to kind of show you something that, that we can do in our own reading of the scripture. That I think what's meant by the the scriptures being being living, the living um, living words of God, is that when we open them anew, they can speak to us in different ways. And when you look at how um, people have read different passages for for thousands of years, like some of the ones in the Old Testament, there's been like three thousand years recorded of people interpreting it and reading it in different ways. And it goes to show that. What is special about these words is that they can come alive for us in different ways. And I know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you read a, read a passage of Scripture over and over again. doesn't make sense. Don't get it. I'll come back to it another time. And come back to it. Still doesn't make sense. Come back to it another time. Oh, finally. It makes sense. Oh, it's amazing. And then you might come back to that passage in a couple couple of years time afterwards you notice something entirely different that you didn't notice that that last time and that's that's what's amazing about these scriptures and I think that's that's what it means for them to be to be God breathed so here um, here we've got a passage and I I know when I was told this story and we'll, we'll go through the story in closely in a moment when I was first told this story, I think I was told that at this moment when Jesus is on the mountain and his appearance has changed, then we get to see that Jesus is God. And I think that's true. But I reckon that's only part of, this, part of the story. And then you may have heard that the fact that Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah demonstrates that Jesus fulfills the law, which is represented by Moses, and fulfills the prophets, which is represented by Elijah. And um, in the Jewish way of speaking, that means he fulfills the whole of Scripture. And that's definitely true. But we're going to look at a different part of this story today. And so we're going to read through the story um, closely. And Jez, if I can have the passage up on the screen, because I've got a different translation here, and otherwise it'll be confusing. So what's happened is that um, Peter has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that the whole people of Israel have been waiting for, for like a thousand years. Ever since the temple was destroyed the first time, they were sent into exile They've had all these empires over them and they're 
ready to be a new people. That's what the people of Israel are waiting for. That's what it means to be a Messiah. So the disciples are kind of expecting Jesus to be like a conquering political hero, to overtake the Roman Empire um, and to give the Jewish people independence as a, as a political nation. That's probably what Peter means when he says that, Jesus, you're the Messiah. But then Jesus goes straight away to tell them that he's going to die. And I suspect by the way the disciples act later on in the story that they just kind of ignore that bit. It's a bit confusing. So they've had this conversation and then it says six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. We keep going. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter's saying, oh, it's just such a glorious thing. Can we kind of build the church here so that we can just visit it on weekends or something? And Peter was still speaking and got interrupted by God. <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> Getting interrupted by God. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, if you've been reading, this is a tangent, but it's okay, we'll come back. If you've been reading the book of Matthew, that phrase might be a bit familiar. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Does anyone know where that's already happened in the story? When he's baptised, that's right. So we've got the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We hear this voice from heaven. This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Then, this is about the middle of the story. We hear, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And after this, it's basically straight ahead towards the cross. Where do you think we'd expect to hear, this is my beloved son, Again, where would you expect? If we've got uh, the beginning, the middle, the end, maybe on the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, we don't hear the voice. God's silent. The only one who says this is the Son of God is a centurion, a Gentile, one of the outsiders who's not supposed to recognize who God is. Even when God seems to be silent, he's the one who realises. That's an amazing thing, but it's a tangent. <laughs> so, the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Let's keep going. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's it. 
amazing experience and then just seems like back to normal. I wonder what those disciples were thinking when Jesus led them up the mountain. I wonder what they thought was going to happen. They're just going to have a little camp out for a couple of days, get a bit of teaching, something like that, like the men's retreat, disciples retreat, I don't know, special disciples retreat. I think they got more than they were expecting. What I want to focus on today is Matthew's description of Jesus. So this story of the transfiguration, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. But it's not in John, which Darren pointed out the other day is remarkable, seeing as John was there, it's interesting that he doesn't include it. But the intriguing thing is that in Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all use different words to describe what Jesus looked like. Which is cool because, I don't know about you, but if I saw Jesus transformed in some kind of glory and God-likeness, and if Sarah did, and if Andrew did, we would probably all describe it in a different way if it was that truly amazing experience. We would have trouble kind of expressing it in words. And I think you get this. When you look at the, when you look at the three um, apostles writing it side by side, I think you can see that they're struggling to put this experience in words. So one of the cool things when we're reading the Bible um, is to look at these different ways that the that the different Gospels tell, tell the story. So Mark says he was transfigured before them, just like Matthew does. And then we can see where, maybe where Mark's mind went. His clothes became radiantly white, more than any launderer in the world could bleach them. <laughs> I wonder how much washing Mark had done. And then Luke, Luke doesn't even use that word that's translated as transfigured. He doesn't use it at all. He just says the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white like flashes of lightning. When we have three versions of the same story, the differences between them show us what that writer is trying to tell us, show us something really specific because they're not just journalists like dispassionately recording an event. They're trying to tell us something. And Matthew is writing to probably a Jewish audience, probably people who know the Old Testament really well. And so, the words that Matthew uses to describe Jesus when he's transfigured are words that will remind the readers of some things in the Old Testament. So, Matthew uses three descriptions. He says, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white. So, we're going to look closely at these descriptions and, and have a look at, like, where is the good news for us today in these words? One of the interesting things is that these three descriptions, or one similar, are used in other places in the Bible. 
But strangely enough, they are used of people, not of God. So we're going to start with the last one, the white robes. So um, it says that his clothes became a dazzling white. And all three accounts in Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all focus on Jesus' clothes. And I think this is really important because if you can imagine we're revealed something about, about God here, okay? And I, that is absolutely true. What I was taught, maybe first of all, about this story is that we see that Jesus is God. This is absolutely true. But I would think that maybe you might expect if the disciples are getting a vision of God that it's maybe they would just see some kind of white light with no body or shape or because we say you know God is that kind of thing he can't be put in one one shape one of the amazing things I think is that Jesus is still most certainly human in this in this situation that the godness the glory of god actually shines through his humanity not he doesn't get rid of his humanity to show that he is god but his humanity is kind of the vessel for this godness the glory of god to shine out he's not some kind of disembodied pure energy or light Jesus is his human self with a face, with clothes, but with the glory of God shining through, unobstructed. I think what this shows us and what Jesus shows us is that our humanity is valuable to God. We're made in the image of God. And in Jesus humanity is restored and restored to the glory of God and when we are joined with Jesus we are restored to shine out that glory and to become part of God's family the other thing about these white robes is that they appear again in in Revelation and the people wearing them are the martyrs and the apostles those who've died for their faith. And what's Jesus just told the disciples before this? That he's going to die. So at the same time as we're seeing the absolute glory of God and knowing that Jesus is God, at exactly the same time, we know that Jesus is going to give himself up and die. Those, it's almost like He's going to give himself up and die because he is God, because that is what God is like. God gives himself up for us. So we've got white robes. Shows us that our humanity is precious to God and that Jesus, in revealing God, is going to go to his death and give himself up for us. Then... We've got Jesus' shining face. His face shone like the sun. 
Now, can you think of anywhere else in the Bible where someone's face shone? And this is where Matthew is trying to rely on his listeners, the people who are listening to his gospel early on. And when he says his face shone like the sun, the listeners are going to go, aha, Moses. And Matthew's been doing that all all the way through this, this gospel, showing that Jesus is the new Moses. That Moses... There's, there's a bloke, can we have that picture, Jez? That lovely portrait. Do we have it? <laughs> it's coming. Oh, it is. It's just not there. Wow. This lovely portrait of someone whose face is also shining like the sun. Or gold leaf or something. This is Gregory of Palamas. And he was reading this, uh, this story. And he noted that Moses was foreshadowing this, but also after Jesus, the shining face thing happened to Stephen as well. Um, So after Moses comes down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, verse 30, it says, the skin of his face shone and they were all afraid to come near him. And then in Acts, chapter 6, verse 15, it says of Stephen that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, I don't think that means like the beautiful, sweet-faced cherub. I think when people were talking about angels, they were talking about some kind of fiery, fiery, scary, frightening creatures, like a fiery warrior. And so Gregory, as he was reading about the, the transfiguration, he said this. He saw that Moses had this shining face thing. Stephen had the shining face thing. So his thought was shining face things for everyone. Gregory said, it proves what we had all once been and... That's like in Adam at the beginning when Adam and Eve had that perfect relationship with God. It proved what we had all once been and what we would be through him in the age to come. We are made in the image of God and through trust in Jesus we're invited to participate in this glory, this thing that's described as the shining face. The fact that the glorified Jesus is still human shows that we are invited into this, that we are in Christ. So we're invited into this amazing glory. Now what that looks like, well, Gregory says we're waiting for the fulfilment of it. But we're going to look at a moment um, at, uh, at Peter and Paul who are writing and saying that in this life, we're kind of edging towards the shining face thing. We might not experience the fullness of it now, but we can get glimpses of bright shining faces. So Peter, in his letter, in his second letter, like he was one of the guys who was there. And as you'd expect, but John doesn't, 
But as you'd expect from someone who'd experienced such an amazing thing, he tells people about it. And so at the beginning of 2 Peter, he goes on to talk about the transfiguration and what an amazing experience it was. He says that he has faith that his prayer to the church will be effective because he's seen the power of God. He's seen the power and the glory of Jesus. He has seen that Jesus is God when he was on the mountain. But, and this comes before he talks about the transfiguration, but he's kind of getting there. He's got this in mind. He says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want to focus on that phrase there. You may become partakers of the divine nature. It's a a strange phrase. What does it mean? Partakers of the divine nature. Well, firstly, what it doesn't mean is that we become God. But we are invited into the relationship of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is a relationship of God where each of those, the Father gives himself up and then is filled by the love of the Son and the Spirit and it happens with all three of them. They're all, you know how Jesus gave himself up, gave up his glory. All three of the the members of the Godhead are doing that all the time and being filled up by the other. It's a relationship of, of love. That's what the divine nature is. And we've been invited into that, to join in with that love, to be filled up by the love of God. We are truly loved by the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. Just as the Father loves the Son and the Spirit, just as the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, just as the Son loves the Spirit and the Father, in the same way, all those three persons of the Trinity love us and invite us into that same relationship. That doesn't mean that we become God. We're still people. But God gives that same love to us. God extends that same invitation of love to us as God has within God's self. That's a bit heavy. (laughs) It might take a bit of pondering. But if you don't want to think so hard about it and have your brain explode because that's really confusing, God loves you with the same love that God has, the Father, the Son, the Father and the Spirit, the Son and the Spirit. God loves us with that same love. And that partake, partakers of the divine nature, that when I like this translation because when I think of partake, I think of food. I think that's a food word. And you partake of a meal. 
And um, it reminds us that when we share communion together, like Ben was talking about, when we share communion together, we are showing that we are the body of Christ here on earth. We are part of that love that God has. And so that, that love extends from within God and then God to us and then us to each other. It flows out, all that, all that love. But interestingly, Peter doesn't just say, that's it, you love, sit back, relax, you're good now. The amazing thing, and I think this is the thing that keeps me going in the Christian life, is that after, after we find ourselves in that place of safety and peace and rest, knowing that we are truly loved no matter what we do, that God's love is always there for us, always there towards us, then we're called to move forward. Come on. Now that you're in this relationship of love, now you're not acting out of guilt or obligation, but because you are so loved, you're asked to be part of the kingdom that God is creating here on earth. You're asked to move forward and be part of that on earth, the reign of God. So Peter gives us a list um, after this and after he, he, he says, you know, on top of faith, excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, self-giving love. From, from that place of love that we get from God, we're asked to go out and be a foretaste of the kingdom, a little taste of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like in the world. Because of Jesus, we have a family connection. We have a family connection with God. We're in. Because God's love towards us is the same as his love within himself. So we've had the white shining robes. God's going to give himself up. But Jesus remains human as well as being God. Our humanity is not the problem. Then, the bright shining faces that we can get a glimpse of now, perhaps. And then, the first description that Matthew used, we're going backwards, was that he was transfigured. And the the word there, metamorpho, which sounds like metamorphosis, it's a rare word in the New Testament. Mark uses it when he's describing the transfiguration. Matthew uses it when he's describing the transfiguration. Luke doesn't. And there's only two more places that it's used in the New Testament. First one is in Romans, where Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the same word. So what's that transfiguring of us is happening by the renewing of our minds, by the Holy Spirit. That we're asked to be transfigured. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I think we've got this one, Jez. Paul says, and it's funny that Paul's talking, using this word when he's talking about Moses. He's, been, he's just been talking about Moses' shining face. Matthew wanted us to be reminded that when Jesus was transfigured of 
Moses' shining face. And Paul's talking about Moses' shining face and it makes him talk about transfiguration. He says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the, of the Lord, are being transformed. That's that word, transfigured. Are being transfigured. We are being transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. We're being transformed into what image? The image of God. Just as we were created to be, the image of God. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Like Gregory said, Gregory of Palamas said, this proves to all what we had once been and what we would be through him in the age to come. What this means, that Paul is asking us to be transfigured by the Holy Spirit. And what this means is that what's broken in us is not our humanness. We often say that, don't we? We're only human. But it's not our humanness that is the broken thing. It's sin in us. Sin and humanity aren't the same thing. We don't need to get rid of our humanity because Jesus became human and is still human. The fact that we are human, we're created in the image of God, gives us dignity. The problem in the world is not that we're human, it's sin and they're not the same thing. To be fully human is to be in that perfect relationship with the creator of the universe. To be invited into that relationship of love that's in the Trinity. And then to reflect, as Paul's saying here, to reflect God's glory out into the world. To be people with shining faces out into the world so people can see the glory of God and see the vision that God has for his kingdom. To be in Christ is not to be like some other otherworldly kind of thing, but to live in our full humanity, to be really human, which sounds weird, doesn't it? Because so often we use human to talk about the bad stuff in us. But Jesus was fully human and he didn't get rid of that. The glory of God shone through the humanity. To be in Christ is to be fully human. To be, as Peter said, to be partakers of the divine nature. To be drawn into the relationship of love that's between the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And then to reflect that out into the world. Soon, we're going to share a meal together after church. And as we partake, be reminded that we, all of us, are partakers in the divine nature. That we're invited into that communion of love. And then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the hands and feet of Christ to live differently and to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God here on earth. So when you're sharing lunch together, look out for shining faces.
because they're there if we have eyes to see. I'm going to quickly pray. God, thank you for your love for us. You love us so much. You love us just as the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. That's the same love that you have for us. God, I pray that we can rest in that love and know that there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's already there. And God, when we can sit in that place of rest, empower us by your Spirit to to live out your glory, to reflect your kingdom, to reflect your hopes for the world and to be your hands and feet in the world. Praise you, God. Amen.